0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I've seen this scene too many times. Oh, there it is. He finally got it. I got it, and I think it's going to happen. Twenty-three. I do. I'm carrot top. I got props. I'm having a hard time with this one because I'm just having a hard time with
2: yeah, it. You're just, uh, you're, yeah, because your pasta meatballs, Steelers. It's yeah. cooking up. It's cooking up. It's starting to cook. It's
0: starting to churn. Mike Tomlin seeming very loose and relaxed. As his team heads for the gallows
2: Uh-oh. at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh-oh, pasta and meatballs. I'd... How you feeling over there? What
0: I may do is bring with me a plate of pasta and meatballs. Take the terrible towel, tuck it in. Right. Old school style. But I am gonna say the steelers. And... Oh my
2: gosh, my God, I know you like those steelers. I know you do. Put your money where your pasta and meatballs are, okay, buddy? All right. Hey! Oh!
0: Thursday edition PFT live. Plate of pasta and meatballs with the salad on the side. If the salad is on top, I send it back. Good morning, Christopher. Boy, you
2: got a haircut,
0: dude. I got one. Yeah. Are you going? Are you going shorter, or is nature taking care of that for you? Well, I can't quite I, figure it out. I'm
2: sure it's a little bit of both. Like, I mean, it, I think both is happening at the same time. I do think the guy went a little shorter on the side than usual. So that my wife even said that to me last night. Now, nature, I I mean, you can go any shorter. You've definitely, you've definitely got the French fried taters look today. (laughs) The French fries. And then this part, hey, yeah, I mean, you know, my forehead is slowly growing into a five head and uh, at some point, I guess it'll be a six head. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm fighting time a little bit there. Yeah, but it is a little tight. I wanted to make sure I look good. It's a big weekend. We're on TV Saturday, Sunday, national TV. I mean, come on, NBC playoff games. I got to make it. I got to make sure I look good. Keep it tight. You know, it can become the six head, the seven head, the eight head, and then suddenly it become a four head again, (laughs) or maybe even a three head. You never know how that works right now on a Thursday. I'm always interested on how do we choose between the West Virginia zip up or the PFT zip up? That's where I, that's where I love it. I know he's no, it's one of the two that's coming out or there's the Steelers occasionally that pops out too.
0: No, I don't have a steal. I have Penguins. I haven't worn the oh, Penguins. Oh, it's the one. Penguins wow, I've ever, one. You're
2: right. That's what I've, it is. I've,
0: I've, I've shied away from the NHL zip ups now that NBC no longer has NHL rights, frankly. <laughs> 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 you know, I was trying to support the team. Guy. I guess I had to get some Premier League zip ups. Hey, hey, folks in the UK and Ireland, send me some Premier League zip ups, please. Okay. We don't need to see that. <laughs> this was just the closest one. <laughs> this was the closest one. But now if I don't, you're going to be disappointed. Of course I will. I, I feel like I have to do it. You have it. to. So it's not
2: you yeah. have to. That's exactly right. I if you come in with something else on a Thursday, I'm going to make fun of you and we're going to have to talk about it and I got to question it. Yeah, don't don't it, let don't let the pressure get to you. This is your look. This is your Thursday look.
0: It may it may be a little gamey. It may be. I think it needs a
2: wash. Oh, it's one of those where, like, you wore it, like, two Thursdays ago and threw it on the couch, and it's been there since that, like, two Thursdays ago. Now you're like, yeah, it's Thursday. Let me brush it off. Is Is that how we're doing it in the Florio household? I think on one
0: Thursday, I ended up wearing it down to the barn and smoked a cigar with the window closed because it was cold. Right. So I think that's the funk that's emanating oh, from it right yeah. now.
2: Ooh, yeah. And it's the
0: kind of thing that makes you swear off cigars for like a month. Yeah, right. You don't want to smell that in the morning. Around. Yeah, you're like, oh, <laughs>
2: cigar in the morning. That's the worst. <laughs>
0: I mean, you're 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 probably completely unfamiliar with the concept of anything you've been smoking, stinking up your clothes. <laughs> no, I'm. I can I'm only very imagine. Very familiar.
2: Very familiar. And to the point where, if I do that, like I get up and if I have a sweatshirt or something. And I go, ooh, man, that smells smoky from the night before. It's like I, I can't wear it. I can't deal with it in the morning. I need to put something fresh on. Maybe later in the day I could throw it back on, but not in the morning. I don't know what it is about that. need that clean air. Do
0: your animals – are your animals – leery of skunks or are
2: they like <laughs> they're comfortable u- around they're skunks? U- they're used to them now yeah I don't I know they're, <laughs> they're leery I think they've differentiated between you know my skunk and the real skunk <laughs> <laughs> all right
0: let's let's get into the game that many believe is the skunk of the weekend on Sunday night 12 and a half point favorites are the Chiefs over the Steelers although as Big Ben would tell it the the spread is even larger than 12 and a half. Here is large Ben from yesterday, seeming even more loose and relaxed than his boss, Mike Tomlin from the day before.
2: You know, I would assume as a group, you understand that, you know, we probably aren't supposed to be here. We're probably not a very good football team. We're the, out of 14 teams I think are in, we're probably number 14. Um, We're double digit underdog in the playoffs. So let's just go play and have fun and see what happens. I mean, we're, Probably 20 point underdogs, and we're going to the number one team. The number one team that's I know they're not the number one C, but they're the number one team that's won the AFC the last two years. Um, arguably the best team in football. Um, we don't have a chance, so let's just go in and play and have fun.
0: Yeah, look, that if anything, his routine neutralized the feeling I had. After Tomlin with Tomlin, it seemed effortless and organic and natural. Ben seemed like he was forcing the whole narrative a little bit too aggressively, but it's not an incorrect narrative. They're not 20 point underdogs. They are just 12 and a half. That's fairly significant, but they are widely regarded as the overwhelming underdog against the chiefs who beat them soundly at Arrowhead stadium just a few weeks ago. So for good reason, they barely got into the playoffs. It felt like they weren't getting in. It felt like the Raiders and the Chargers were settling for a tie that would have sent them both the postseason and sent the Steelers home while Mike Tomlin slept in his home. But I look it it, it to me remains a powerful vibe that they even with Ben Roethlisberger's best efforts to ham it up. It's still real. That is the vibe. That is the attitude. They do have nothing to lose. Nobody expects them to win. It creates a mindset that you can try to manufacture, and Tom Brady always tries to manufacture it. Everybody thinks we're going to lose. Nobody believes in this, even when everyone does. This is real. This, is, this requires no magic trick. This requires no suspension of disbelief. It's real in the locker room. They know that no one expects them
2: to win. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah, they do. Uh, it's, it, it will lead to them, you know, rallying together and, you know, being able to be like a, you know, a dog trapped in the corner a little bit where, yeah, they want to get out and fight and prove people wrong. Hey, I, I mean, again, I don't expect them to win the football game. There's no, I don't, for a lot of the reasons Big Ben just talked about. I do think the Chiefs are a better football team. You look at the first matchup, and you just go, oh, my gosh, it's so one-sided. But it is the Steelers, who I've also thought there was like four other games in the last month that they wouldn't win, and they did, and they just hang around, and they just kind of stay around and stay around and wait for you to make a mistake or slip up a little bit, and they take advantage, and now all of a sudden you look up and you go, what? They're within three, or they're up three. That that's that's what they're looking for, that type of game where they can kind of just hang in there a little bit. And then maybe TJ Watt does catch Mahomes slipping or running around the pocket and hits him and strip sack fumble. You know? Maybe they do catch, you know, the the Chiefs on a day where, hey, that the disease of turnover gets them once again that we saw all through the year. Tyree Kill trying to catch RPOs over the middle, the ball pops in the air, interception. So that's why they gotta fight, keep believing in this, and realize that. Hey, it only takes a few plays to swing the momentum and make it a really even close football game. But as far as yeah, what I would think, yeah, I think the Chiefs are the better team, and I do expect them to win the game. You know, I don't want to say, I want to say, yeah, they're going to control it. I don't want to say dominate or blow out, but I, I expect it to be around that ten point victory somewhere in that range for the the Chiefs football team. I do.
0: So it sounds like you may be tempted to pick the Steelers to cover when we do our.
2: Maybe, I got that's where I got to think about it, but I'm certainly going to pick the Chiefs to win the football game. Just the way it looked the first time, Mike, the way the offense of the Chiefs moved the ball, it was just all too easy. The Steelers defense, it's, you know, that that to me, it, it, you know, they, they can't stop the run. They play a lot of these true zones that are not good against the Kansas City passing offense. They got to change it up. I mean, this right here this is a great pass protecting offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs. That negates one of the good things the Steelers have, which is which is a great pass rush. You know, but that man, man, it's not as great against this group up here, which is one of the best in football, with Orlando Brown and Tooney and the rest of the group there protecting Mahomes. So that's where they're going to have to find a different plan of attack a little bit because it was just too comfortable for the Chiefs. Yeah, Mahomes was comfortable. They were able to throw little short passes like that, slants like this, can't make a tackle, ran up the middle for five and eight yards at will whenever they wanted. So that's where the I I, I certainly think that's where it begins. The Steelers' defense approach, they're going to have to take more chances, maybe even play a little bit more man-to-man than they like. But I think that it's definitely going to have to be something outside the box of what they normally do if they want to pull off the upset. And, and
0: look at how patient – Patrick right. Holmes was right. when when facing the Steelers and this was the culmination week 16 the eighth straight win for the Kansas City Chiefs right after they had fallen into their hole and recognized and accepted and fully embraced the idea that they need to be patient that they need to take what is available they need to take what the defense is giving them and the Steelers gave it to them all day long mean, the Steelers aren't going to come from behind. No, that's right. The Steelers aren't going to wake up at 27 to 10 and all of a sudden rattle off touchdowns. The Steelers are going to have to get lucky early on with an unexpected uppercut that that knocks the Chiefs a little woozy and makes them realize they're in a game at a time when no one expected them to be in a game. And then the Steelers have to continue that it can't just be one lucky punch they've got to get one lucky punch and then one more strategic jab and then yeah, maybe yeah, a little right, right cross right and just keep the Chiefs on their toes all day long and hope at the end of the day they have more points on the board that right. they stop Patrick Mahomes when he has the ball in his hands and an opportunity to win the game late but We've seen it enough times this year, dating all the way back to week one in Buffalo, when no one would have dreamed that the Steelers would have gone in there yeah, on the right. first day at Bill Stadium with fans after last year. What a great year it was. I think they managed to wedge some in for the playoff game that they had at home against the Ravens. But other than that, this was the homecoming. This was euphoria. This was people jumping through card tables. And the Steelers did that. You know, block punt. Just uh, something happens in every block phase punt, strip of the game. sack, fumble
2: on right. Josh Allen. Yeah, right. It, it can't just
0: be the offense. No. And the rest of the team knows that, and and it's it's really that simple. And Chris, we can go through the history of playoff upsets where we're like, "What the hell just happened?" And you, sometimes the reaction is, "We should have seen it coming," and sometimes. There's no way we could have seen it coming. What the Browns did to the Steelers last year. Right. In Hines Field. No one saw that coming. No. I assume we had that game on on NBC. I assume that we did the full across-the-board Steelers logo picks. I can't remember anybody pick, uh, picking the Browns to win that game. Nobody thought the Browns were going to win that game. No, Nobody did. No. No. Now, now that was fluke, 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 and before you knew it, it was over by the end of the f- first quarter. Um, but but still I, that's the thing it's a it's a one game winner take all loser goes home and i just don't think that we can discount what's happened to the Steelers since the last time they played at Arrowhead Stadium the monday night at home sure the win over the browns in Ben Roethlisberger's final game at Heinz Field yep the vibe that was created that night how special and magical it was and you and i didn't believe in it last week we both thought they'd go to Baltimore get their asses. kicked.
2: I haven't believed in it but, in a month, and we're here talking about it. I know. Him. Yeah.
0: Well, whether it was the Titans, yes, right? the Ravens the first time. The Ravens at home. Yes. Right. There's just and and it's it's I love this because it's one of those occasions where at a time when the NFL has become so data driven. So based in objectivity, talked about this the other day, about the difference between objective and subjective decision-making by coaches. Brandon Staley, objective process. Bill Belichick, when needed, subjective gut-level pasta and meatballs or whatever his meal of preference is, decisions. The Steelers are the, the full embodiment currently of the idea that sometimes you just throw everything out the window and go play football. Yeah, That's why I'm struggling with this. Is this one of those games where you just throw everything out the window and go play football? And if it is, they have a chance.
2: I, I mean, yes, they do. I, I, again, I, it's hard to discount them or really just think and I, they're scary. You know, of a, a course, like we talk about a lot, they're, they're used to being the big bad bullies. They want to be the team that out hits you and causes a fumble or a turnover through their physical intimidation, which is always scary because they do have a few guys on their football team that are capable of doing that. The Minka Fitzpatrick's, of course, T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, you know those guys. They're capable of bam one shot, and all of the same, all of a sudden the game's different. Ball, somebody catching a ball over the middle, ball pops in the air, interception. There's, there's no doubt. But I do think this is a different animal. This is different to me than last year with like the Steelers versus the Browns. I mean, this Chiefs team I think is better than the Steelers from last year. You know, this is a there are some real matchup issues in the football game that I look at to where I just go. Where can the Steelers make it different? You know, now you 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 brought up some good stuff there. Yeah, they're desperate. but they need the special teams to show up. I don't know if that means you get ready for a fake punt, something like that. There has to be some sort of you know advantage given to their football team that way. Whether it's the turnovers, a big punt return, a punt block, something of that. A little bit outside the scope of the normal football game. You know, that that to me is where, yes, it's going to have to come down to that for the Steelers to pull off an upset. Because, you know, Mike, even, you know, you get into their offense. I mean, their offense was incapable of doing anything really in the football game during the competitive part. It was tough sledding. We know they want to run the ball, right, with Najee Harris. Yeah. But, man, the Chiefs, they, they got some dudes up front. And this is not a great offensive line by the Steelers. So they dominate the show there. Then what's the next thing we know about the Steelers? They want to throw the ball short, right? Ben gets it out of his hands. The Chiefs are in-your-face, man-to-man team. They make it hard to do that. So that's where it's like I look at it and go – they gotta, they gotta throw a few curveballs in this one. They can't just play like, hey, we think we're the Steelers and the same formula that helped us beat Baltimore last week and and some of these other upsets. I, I just don't imagine that working this week against this group in Kansas City. And that's to me where it gets interesting. You know, it can't be dink and dunk. Chase, and, Chase Claypool's man to man on Travarius Ward. They gotta take some shots in this game. They got to back Kansas City off. And Kansas City got to play aggressive and in their face and come downhill the whole game. Never worried about anything because everything was four yards here, four yards here, run up the middle, four yards here, four yards here. So there was no element of that, and that's where I'm excited to see because I I think Pittsburgh will have some curveballs here, you know. But it's gonna to have to be calculated and smart too. We know that too because you know again the approach has to change on both sides of the football, in, in my opinion. And we'll see if they can do it, but. Uh, I think it's a, a tough, tough uphill battle here with this one. Uh, it's a tough matchup, I think, for them overall, just with the Chiefs. The Chiefs are better, and they also don't match up well with the Chiefs either. I guess that would be my two cents there. Since 2019, the Kansas City Chiefs have had one
0: postseason loss. It came in a game during which Patrick Mahomes was continuously harassed and chased. Remember, he had the toe problem that made yeah. it easier for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pass rush to get after him. The Steelers, when placing Mahomes under pressure, forced him to go 0 for 6. The problem is he was only under pressure six times. That's the problem. When he had a clean pocket, he was 23 for 24. And when they tried to blitz him, the problem was he was 6 for 6 Uh for 75 yards and two touchdowns. Right. So what do you do to generate pressure on
2: Patrick Mahomes without blitzing him? Well, that's where... You know, that's where the approach definitely has to change on that side of the ball. You know, first off, I talked a little bit about, like, you know, the Steelers, they're not like, you know, here you go. You see a four-man rush. It's basic coverages here. Okay, they do a great job. This is, this is to me, that's that's the kind of play we need the, the Steelers to make if they want to pull off the upset. You know? Yeah, TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, and company, they're going to have to have, like, you know, game of the year type of performance to pull this off. There's no doubt because, I, I, again... Yeah, you know, you want to give the illusion of blitz, all right? There's two things that jumped out to me after watching the game around the first time. Pittsburgh, too simple with the coverages in the back end, you know, just basic zones, basic coverage. Mahomes and company felt so comfortable, and it was just bing, bong, boom all day long. And then, of course, we talked about their run game. The Steelers got to do some, you know, you know, again, the, the, the illusion of complexity, where, hey, we don't blitz. It's it's two guys blitz here, two guys drop out here. We're playing man, and we got two guys looking for crossers, whatever it may be. That's where it's got to be a little bit. But I, I don't think they can just sit back and play zone defense and think, oh, Mahomes will mess this up or do something that way, or our pass rush will get there, and that'll be the difference in the game. I, I don't think that's going to work in this in this one. You know, the Chiefs and Mahomes, he's become more patient. You know, he, they are a great pass-protecting team. So, to me, they got to take a few more chances on the defensive side of the ball. I would think they'd have to play a little bit more man-to-man. And, like I said, try to find ways to pressure with four, maybe five at times, you know, without compromising coverage in the back end too much. That's going to be the challenge is finding that balance of risk-reward of how they want to do that. Because, like you said, when he was pressured, yeah, it, it's – you know, again, they have the guys that can kind of contain him and make him throw it away, and and it could be a win. But it's just too few and far between at times, and that's where they really, you know, fell behind the eight ball with the the score and being blown out there.
0: T.J. Watt was neutralized yeah. in the last matchup. No quarterback hits. No sacks. No anything. A tackle. Nothing. No. That's it. One I know.
3: Tackle.
0: I and I'm I'm glad you said what you said because it was shades of the old zone blitz and. I, I continue to be fascinated by the defensive fronts we saw this year from the head coach who got fired on Monday Yeah, right, by Steven Ross. Right. When you have seven guys arrayed across the line of scrimmage and you don't know who's coming sure. and who's dropping into coverage, I right. feel like they need something like that where – Mahomes has to think for an extra half beat right where Mahomes isn't quite sure who's going to be clogging that lane where he's trying to hit somebody underneath and he isn't quite sure who's going to be busting through no doubt to try to disrupt him and put him on his ass no doubt the the old-fashioned let's hope to get pressure with four guys that plan isn't going to work no it's not the traditional four it's got to be I think it's got to be an exotic front yeah where it's both complicated and simple, if that makes any sense whatsoever, because the guys have to ultimately run it. You've got to be able, from time to time, if you're Cam Hayward, to drop back five yards and clog that underneath route. you got to be able to do that sure, right. to make this work. Right. You've got to have defensive backs who can spring up to the line of scrimmage, disguise what they're doing, and then make a beeline for Patrick Mahomes and try to track him down and knock him down before he can make something happen where he spots the mismatch on the back end. I just think that that's the kind of kitchen sink creativity that they need to have in order to have a chance, and they need it to work early. No doubt. They need it to work early. Yep. They need to put their hand in the flame early and hope that they can emerge right with without major damage yes. and ultimately right. grab whatever's on the other side of that 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 uh, that that blast furnace that they need to try to parlay into their favor I, that that's what it's got to be yeah it's got to be I something so like too. that and that's why on game plan day when mike tomlins meet with the media and he's as loose as i've ever seen him and as relaxed as i've ever seen him i t- I, he, I i would like to think that one of the great coaches in the nfl who was given a gift an opportunity something that at times throughout the course of the 2021 season, he probably assumed was not going to happen at all, right? And that's another question. Do great coaches hold back wrinkles for the postseason? Mm. 17 games, you got got something you're holding in your back pocket that you devised in the offseason that you're going to wait to unleash Kraken-style. When you need it in the playoffs, do great coaches do that?
2: No, they don't, but they're willing to go that. I, I don't think they hold it back. They don't have it and go like, wait, we got this in week 12. We figured this out. Let's hold it for the playoffs. What I do think happens at the playoffs, though, within the real, you know the, the realization of like, hey, it's win, or go home and wait, we're playing a team that is better than us, and they cause some issues for us. We got to take some chances or maybe call or draw up some defenses, to your point, to like what you were saying, that we don't normally do. And that's where I I always look at the team who lost the first matchup. They have the advantage in the second matchup from the schematical standpoint. You know, The first team, of course, is going to come – the team who won the first matchup is going to come away going, wait, let's just do a lot of what we did in the first matchup. It worked great, right? And they add a few plays. But they, again – they don't know what's going to come from the other team and the adjustment in the second matchup. So that's where they're at a disadvantage. And of course, the team that lost knows they sit there and watch the film. And they go, "Well, we can't do this again. We got to change the approach." That's no, there is no doubt. And that's where, yes, to your to what you were talking about with the defense and the scheme. That's where they're going to have to do th- some things, some creative, you know. To, to try to find ways to expose the pressure, the protection. You know, hey, hey, we're blitzing over here, and the line slides over there. Those two guys drop out, two guys come over here, it's a four-man rush, and hey, we got one guy free, and it was a four-man rush. They're going to have to find ways and keys in the, the Kansas City offense to kind of get those type of advantages, let alone, like you said, You know, do some things in the back end that are a little unconventional that make Mahomes just go, wait, I'm going to throw it, oh no, oh no, and then maybe he dances around the pocket a little bit and gets hit like he did against Steelers the first time around with Alonzo Highsmith and now the ball pops in the air. That to me is the Steelers' advantage, but this first matchup, it was way too vanilla and the Chiefs were way too comfortable. He got to come up to the line of scrimmage and go, oh, it's this coverage, blue 45, blue 45, set hut, oh, it's still that same coverage, let me just deal it out. And you know you're not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs like that unless you just have absolute supreme talent. You know, like we saw the Bucks last year. They could do that because they were just like, hey, we're that awesome. You know, this is the Steelers are not that defense this year, so they need you know some creativity and some curveballs that the Chiefs aren't right like right ready and prepared for this weekend.
0: You almost uttered Kansas City with some creativity. Kansas, I did. I and added and a infused infused little. I added a little sh to the word. <laughs>
2: I
1: know. <laughs> I, didn't I, I so. still
0: haven't checked the tape. Somebody from the UK who watched the show yesterday on Sky Sports asked me if I muttered an f word under my breath at one point. During the show, there's a question as to whether or not you did I, I, I've yet to hear anything from anyone I who know. has any I know, think I did when I was when
2: we were doing the McVeigh segment, right, and I think when McVeigh was down on the sideline down in the end zone running, and I was kind of imitating like what the other coaches would be saying if they saw that on a regular basis, and I think I might have slow, like lowly muttered a bad word yes. I was I'm, – I'm looking for the email I got
0: where the, somebody asked me yesterday, I can't find it, whether or not I, I under my breath, dropped an F-bomb and we were talking about one of the various dysfunctional teams in the National Football League. Let me ask you this then. Yeah. Separate from the question of whether, whether or not Mike Tomlin has held something back that he hasn't used all year long, is there any merit to the idea that when they went to play the Chiefs day after Christmas, week 16 – Mapping out their path to the postseason, recognizing, you know what, if we get in, there's a pretty good chance we're going to be back here again in a few weeks. Maybe maybe he held some stuff back. Maybe he went vanilla. I I mean, I, I don't want to go too deep into the weeds with how he may be thinking, but he probably didn't expect to go win in Kansas City. No. A- given the way the team had been playing on the road, I think he knew that he had a very difficult needle to thread to get to the playoffs and it was probably not going to happen anyway. But if it does happen, you're going to have to go back there. How much do coaches think about that in a late season, regular season game, knowing there's a chance we're going to be right back here in a single elimination sure. game? sure. Do you hold stuff back in the late regular season? Uh,
2: Yes. If you know you're in the dance already, right, then yes, I would say so. Like if the Steelers were like, wait, we know we're going to be in the playoffs and we're a five seed sitting here in weeks. Then maybe you do. And you may maybe hold some things back. But I don't think they were in the position at that point to hold anything back because they they had a win. You know, at that point, you know, you know, again, they were fortunate that some other teams lost and it kept them alive here in this this conversation that weekend and and of course the next weekend in week seventeen. But I, I don't imagine that being the case for this one because again they were in a desperate spot. You know, but so now but at least now they have the chance to look at what they did and go, wait, all right. You know, hey, we, we gotta do this this crazy blitz like we're talking about, drop out, do this. We might have to void a little area out here. But we through our studies realize they don't throw the ball over here a whole lot. So we can so maybe a little cheat coverage in here a little bit to the area they throw. They're gonna have to come up with game plan specific things of that nature, if that makes sense, Mike. And I think you hit a spot on too, you know? The zone blitzes, the illusion of, hey, there's a lot of people coming and oh wait, it's still only four, but we thought Oh, it was six, and now we kept extra people in the block, and now we only got three guys down on the route, but you still got seven people covering. That's what a lot of the great defenses are doing in football right now, to your point with Brian Flores. People have stolen that idea, and you watch the Bills or the, the Patriots on you know third downs or passing situations, other great defenses in the sport right now. They're all dabbling in that, what you talked about. And I would imagine we see some sense of that a little this weekend with the Steelers because, again, they got to do some things that are a little unconventional and take some chances if they want to pull off this upset. And the
0: ultimate example of how the turntables can turn from the late regular season into the postseason, the Jets fan who's producing the show today have reminded me at one point that the Patriots beat the Jets 45-3 to late in the 2010 regular season. They got together again, same field, postseason, Jets won twenty-eight-21. It was the record for the largest margin of defeat ever avenged in the postseason, lost well, by forty-two points. Yeah. And
2: turned around and Hey, won it. And to your point, uh, you know, what we're talking about here, what happened? That playoff game, Rex was doing crazy crap, and people were dropping and blitzing, and you didn't know who was coming. And the Patriots couldn't figure it out. And Brady ended up being on pressure and couldn't quite figure out where to get the protections. And that's, it was that kind of game. Like they, very similar to what we're talking about right here with what the Steelers got to do. You know? And again, of course, there's going to be risk doing this too. You know, you risk doing some of these things and all of a sudden you're up there in the line of scrimmage and you're trying to fake one of these blitzes and Mahomes gets the ball real quick and he finds a little seam with, you know, Tyree Kill running inside slant and all of a sudden there's nobody there and he found a little seam and he's gone too. So there's the great risk of that. That's where Kansas City's dangerous and different than other teams a little bit. We know how they can be magical that way and they got some of these RPO quick passes where if he hits one of those guys running, watch out.
0: Tyreek Hill, you mentioned him. He fully participated in practice on Wednesday. That's Remember, good. he was hobbled yeah. in Saturday's game with a heel injury. That's something to still keep an eye on because that was kind of weird. And it looked like it, it happened. pregame game warm-ups, jumping incredibly high into the air to get a a, a pass before they had their pads on. And and they, they pinpointed that as the moment where the heel began to bother him. So that still is something to keep an eye on. Okay, from one seventh seed to another, the Eagles going to Tampa Bay. They're calling for some rain and some wind in Tampa. That favors the team that has figured out the formula for grinding it yeah, out right. with the running game and keeping the opposing offense on the sideline. Is it that simple, or or maybe is it that narrow? Is that the only chance the Eagles have? Run the ball effectively against the Buccaneers' defense is getting back a bunch of injured guys right. who had made it harder for them to stop the run without these guys present. Run the ball. Shorten the game, keep Tom on the sidelines drinking Gatorade or whatever approved beverage he will put into his non subway eating body. Is is that what you have to do if you're the Eagles to have any chance in this
2: one? I think so. Their their offense has to be part of their defense, in my opinion, for this game. Like to, to what you're saying, I, I think you're right on the right track there. You know, and, and we'll get onto that side of the ball with the Eagles defense versus Tampa's offense in a minute. But yeah, I I think First off, watching that game back from week six, it's 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 not an apples to apples football game this time around. You know, that was still the old Eagles team. That was still trying to run like the Phillip Rivers Indianapolis Colts or Chargers offense. They were still trying to make Jalen Hurts a drop back passer, surgical, do all that type of stuff. You know, and it's not long after this where they finally realize like, wait, that's not what this guy is. He's a great athlete. He's a gamer. You know, he can push the ball down the field. We can throw one-on-one shots. He throws a pretty deep ball, post routes, go routes. But he's not going to be Mr. 75% over the middle 6- and 8-yard completions. No, that's not what he is. They change not after this for the better, of course. And we've talked a lot down the stretch at how it's – Them, the 49ers, I mean, they're the best running teams in football. They're phenomenal that way. So that's where it's going to be a little different this time for the Bucs in that they're defending a different offense now. I mean, the, 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 the Eagles, their attitude in which they play on that side of the ball, Jalen Hurts' running ability off of that, Mike, I think that is certainly a big part of the game. Them being able to control the clock and the flow of the game with their own offense and staying on the field that way because yeah I do ha- I have true concerns about the Eagles being able to stop Brady and and, and, and you know the Bucks offense. I don't think that's going to happen very much. That was a Thursday night game week 6. It right. was
0: 7 to 7 late in the first quarter by the middle of the third quarter the Buccaneers were up 28 to 7. Two rushing touchdowns by Jalen Hurts after that right. narrowed the gap to 28-22 when it looked like the easy cover for the Buccaneers. That was also the game that had referee Clay Martin separating Derek Barnett remember that and Tom Brady oh right after an right. interception, after an when, interception. I mean, just b- bizarre getting involved while the play was still going on to keep Tommy from possibly the weirdest the crap ever done I saw it yesterday yeah by Derek Barnett weird so like uh,
2: weird it's football like it's the middle of the play he's allowed to block the quarterback holy cow crazy but you're
0: right you're right about the fact that the Eagles have changed their identity and this is why Nick Sirianni Who knows whether or not he got any Coach of the Year votes because the AP process is one vote per candidate per voter, so it's all in with one person. I don't know that Sirianni was so good that any one of the voters would say he's the best of all, but what he did that was really
2: impressive... Was, was he mean to anybody? I don't know. If he was mean to somebody, he might not have got any votes. You know, I don't know. No. You got you got to <laughs> worry about those relationships. You got you got to have good relationships,
0: or you can't last as a coach in the National Football League. It doesn't matter if you win football games. You just have to have good relationships. If you have good relationships, you can weather the storm. But Sirianni did indeed. And it all kind of started with that goofy press of a flower, the the floral sprout, mm. and it was great. <laughs> they got flowers all over the place they now do. though. But you know what? You're right. This is one of those where it's going to be a challenge for the Buccaneers because yeah, it's a very different team than the one they faced. So yes. throw out that film and study far more closely film of what the Eagles yeah. have done. In more recent weeks,
2: that, that's that's what it is. Yeah, they got to get a feel for this, and you know they're gonna have a little bit of a feel because they got to defend Taysom Hill and the Saints' offense to a degree there. So there will be some carryover for their football team, but this is a different animal. It really is, and the fact that hey, Jalen Hurts, of course, is a talented runner, but this offensive line is, in my opinion, it's 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 top two or three in the game right now, and and that's what I'm excited to see. You know, can Vita Vea sue? JPP sounds like he's in the back. Shaq Barrett, you know, their ability. What can they do? We know they're so great at stopping the run. You got linebackers like Devin White, who are certainly great in space and can run sideline to sideline. Um, but you know, I haven't seen really anybody slow down this Eagles running attack as of late. And then add on to that, Mike, you control the clock. First down, first down. You're running the ball. You know, now where it could play into their hands as well. And this is where the Eagles are. This is their formula. And this is where they're dangerous. You got, you go, Oh man, we, we got to do something to stop the run. You know, they're just, they're just pounding us into oblivion here. And now it becomes man to man outside. And they got guys on the outside that are going to be able to win. Hey, Devonte Smith is, he's got superstar qualities. Him one-on-one. Quez Watkins, another guy can run by you and go up and catch 50, 50 balls. Rieger can run by you. Not big, not going to catch fifty-fifty balls, but that was part of the first matchup too. You know, two of those scoring drives you talked about just a few minutes ago—they were set up by big pass interference calls, where you know they caught the Bucks in a situation where their corners were on an island, and he threw it up, and they interfered. So those are certainly ways where they're going to pose problems for this Buccaneers defense. But just we haven't seen the Bucks with a healthy defense really ever be run on to a degree where you go, whoa, this is concerning or whoa, they're going to lose the game because they're being dominated that way. Uh, we, I've never really seen that. The Colts did about as good as I've seen. or yeah, No, it wasn't the Colts. It was somebody else late in the year I'm blanking on. But that that's going to be something to watch out. Maybe I'm thinking of Josh Allen and his running ability uh, and what he did, which is another thing, of course, that could carry over this game with Jalen Hurts.
0: And the Tampa Bay offense yeah. it really has changed throughout the course of the year. Back when these two teams got together, Rob Gronkowski was recovering from the rib injury. He suffered in Week 3 against the Rams. Antonio Brown had his last big game before he was gone for 10 weeks with an ankle injury. And then the fake vaccination card suspension. They've got Mike Evans and Tyler Johnson as their starting receivers. It's so weird to see that. Uh, Cyril Grayson, who was good against the Panthers, he had a hamstring injury last week. Who knows what he's going to do. Jalen Darden, Rashad Perryman, Scotty Miller. Yeah, now Gronk is back, which is good, but it, it may very well be that the Eagles decide to do what they can to take away Gronk and try to get after Brady and take their chances with some of these guys, knowing that Mike Evans is going to be you know, the safety blanket if Gronk is is covered, uh, but but it's not that diverse attack that we've seen in the past, where you can just interchange all these different parts to the point where it overwhelms a defense. No, they they don't have that quality because too many guys are injured. Leonard Fournette's back from injured reserve, but with a hamstring injury, who knows? Who knows how long it really takes to get a guy to 100. Maybe it's a little wishful thinking to try to get him back as quickly as they did, but th- this offense. You know, you think back to the Buccaneers of last postseason where it really felt like you never knew who was going to pop up and make a no. play. Remember when Tyler Johnson made the catch against right. the Saints and Tom Brady trusted everyone? Yeah. There's a different vibe now. He's he's gravitating more toward the guys with which he's
2: most comfortable and not just spreading the ball around all over the place. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. They're a little different that way. you got a healthy and gronk, you know, healthy gronk, healthy Evans. You know, that's a good start. You know, we saw Scotty Miller, like to your point with Johnson, and we saw Scotty Miller catch a deep go route at the end of the, you know, the first half against the Packers in the NFC Championship game. He looks like he's close to 100%, if not 100%, with the way he was running around last week against the Panthers. Uh, that, so, yeah, they're not as talented. We know that. But it's still a talented group that's going to pose problems, let alone we know they got a, they got a big, powerful offensive line. They do. And, you know, they get away from running the ball at times to me. You know you know me. I'm one of those that's always said, like, I think the Bucks are at their best when it's, you know, a tight end, two tight ends in the game, Brady's underneath, they they, they scare you with smash mouth, and then he kills you with play-action pass. I really think that's when they're the most dangerous. Mike, I know this. This is a little bit like the last game we talked about. You know, I don't know how good the Eagles' defense is, right? The Eagles are one of those teams where I just want to make sure – it's a top 10 defense in football right now. They sit at number 10, all right? And they made a turn, you know, towards the second half of the year and certainly helped themselves out, you know, with where they're ranked defensively. But is it real? That's my question. You know, you see the stats here. Is it real? Okay, like, yes, the stats are a lot better the last eight games. But if I told you that they were playing guys like Jake Fromm and Garrett Gilbert, and they got to play the Giants twice and Trevor Simeon and the Teddy Bridgewater and got to play the t- the quarterbacks they played, the teams they played down the stretch. There's no good offenses other than the Cowboys last weekend, and we know the Eagles didn't play their players. So I don't know how good the Eagles' defense is. Whenever they played a team that had a system and a quarterback this year, they got absolutely torn apart. I mean – Justin Herbert, Derek Carr—they threw for the, they threw for over eighty percent in the games when they played them. Brady in their first matchup, the Eagles never stopped them. They really didn't. I mean, in the second half, there was a fourth and two that the Buccaneers went for at midfield. There was a penalty that got them behind the chains. But look at this, Mike. Look at how open some of these guys are during this little highlight pack here. I mean, it's like wide open all game long. Nothing to disrupt Brady very plain and simple looks again to where I go, if the Eagles defense plays it like this, they just got no chance. There's too many players, too many good plays on the Buccaneers' offense and that's where I question the the matchup and whether they can pull this off.
0: Well, and Brady keeps making his decisions faster and faster. He knows right? he's going to be open before the ball's ever in his hands and the, the window of getting to him is smaller than it's ever been. He knows exactly what he's going to do. This is a guy who's been Playing quarterback in the NFL for more than half of his life at age 44, he had over 5,000 passing yards, and a lot of it is he gets rid of the ball fast. He knows where he's going,
2: but and they don't hit the quarterback. Philadelphia can't get after the quarterback. That's where it's like that's where it's we get to Brady in that conversation, and like what you're saying, you're spot on. And then you get to a team that can't really get there, and is not necessarily an exotic blitz team. To where I just go. This is where I get back to the Eagles' offense has to control the game a little bit for the Eagles' defense to to, to that point. And, and
0: if you can't get to Brady, you really ultimately don't have a chance, no matter uh, – unless we see like 15-minute drives from the Eagles. Right. If you can't right. get to Brady, you, you've got no chance. I, no. I feel much better about the Steelers' <laughs> chances in Kansas City than I do about the Eagles' chances in Tampa Bay, which of course means the Chiefs will win by 30 and the Eagles will end up stealing the victory <laughs> – from the Buccaneers who are peeking ahead on the playoff tree for whoever they think they'll be playing in the next round. Let's peek ahead a little bit when we return. By the way, though, we have an important update before yeah. we take a break. This is important. Uh, it was 27 minutes after the second hour or into the second hour of the program yesterday and 54 seconds where you did swallow an F-bomb. You did not drop it. You managed to keep it from coming out. But right. to the trained eye, it was obvious what you we're saying when we return we may drop a few f bombs accidentally or intentionally as we talk about what's happening with the new york football giants as they embark on a search for a general manager and a search for a coach and a search for something better than what they've been for the last decade we'll discuss that next on pro football talk Live.
3: Simsism. The stack was decked against him.
2: You know, I mean, hey, there's mistakes. You know, the stack, the, the stack was was stack. You know, the, the stack was what I want. The deck was, stack was decked against, against him. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Go ahead and saying. say it. The stack was decked against him. <laughs> that's yes. bad.
3: Simsism.
0: It wasn't a full blown Simsism. You did. You did try to pull yourself out of the quicksand. I did. You found a vine and you were going hand over hand, and I shoved you back in. And then I was very impressed because later in that same segment, on at least five occasions, you said deck was stacked because you wanted to prove I can do it. Look, mom, I can talk. (laughs) That you can get the saying out. The stack was decked against him. Thank you for I, that. Even we, though it was a partial symptom, yeah. it's one of the better ones. I
2: think it is. It's a, I think we're on to something again there. I mean, hey, the deck can be stacked against you, but when things get a little harder, man, when the stack decks you, then you're it's really tough. Uh, it's, I, I kind of like it. I don't know. <laughs>
0: well, the stack is decked against the New York Giants right now because they are yet again looking for a new head coach. Again, two years with... Ben McAdoo in his giant suit, two years with Pat Shermer, two years with Joe Judge, and now back to the drawing board, and they're looking for a general manager, and John Mara had a press conference yesterday that was not streamed live by anyone. The reporters were limited to one question each. Nothing like full-blown transparency and embracing the public nature of the business that you run. But here's a little John Mara from yesterday on the very difficult decision to part ways after only two seasons with former head coach Joe Judge.
3: I can't say there was one specific act that was the last straw. It was just the culmination of things. uh, we, we just got to a point where I, I, where I thought we had dug ourselves a hole so deep that I didn't see a clear path to getting out of it unless we completely blew it up and, and started all over again with a new general manager and a new head coach. Um, I still think that there is a really good head coach inside of Joe Judge. I just felt like given where we are right now uh, on the verge of bringing in a new general manager, we have to give that person um, the flexibility uh, to bring in the head coach that uh, that, that he wants, and I, I think that's that was a large part of the decision here in, in making it in making a change. I just felt like we really needed to just start from the from from the ground up again.
0: It really felt while I was listening to that that at any given moment he could have said the stack was decked against us. I felt like he was dabbling in sufficient cliche that he could have stumbled over that and. Anyone else out there that's doing a press conference as they try to regroup following their latest disappointing season and fire people, feel free to use it. Let's get it going. The stack was decked against us. I think we really need to start weaving that into the subconscious minds of these folks who have to do these press conferences. Chris, what was your opinion of Mara's explanation there and however much
2: else of his
0: press conference yesterday you saw?
2: Well, it just it damage control. That, that's what it was more than anything. And I think he's just letting the, you know, letting the fan base know that he realized that, hey, you know, the the things, I I hear you and things got past the point of no return. You know, he, he can, he can say what he wants where there's, you know, there was no one thing or whatever that really put it over the edge. But how could not the last, how could the, the last two or three weeks not affect what, what the Mara family was thinking, as far as Joe Judge was concerned, yeah, things weren't good on the field, like we talked about, you know. But but again, what it became is the perception became the reality, and then of course, you know, the eleven minute, you know, answer on the on the pre, in the press conference and the quarterback sneak, where the Giants became like a social media meme, and that's when it's like, wow. We're, we're really like in a spot that's scary for our franchise, our football team, our fan base. The reaction of some of the fans in the crowd. I just think he saw that the writing was on the wall there. That not only had the fan base been lost, but I'm sure he questioned whether the team was buying in anymore either. Because there just wasn't any light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's what that was yesterday. A little bit of, yeah, damage control. Letting the fan base know that, you know, yeah things aren't good. And that you know, they're, they're going to try to do everything they can to get going in the right direction here and let the GM have a clean slate to get it all going in the right direction at the same time to something you talk about a lot. He
0: said that he doesn't want to rush into anything, that yeah. in the past they've made that mistake. The problem is the clock is ticking because other teams are looking for general managers other teams are going to be making decisions it is a game of musical chairs if you want to get the absolute best candidate if you catch wind of the fact that someone else wants him that's how they lost out on Matt Rule although in part it was because David Tepper was willing to pay Matt Rule a ton of money and the Giants weren't willing to match it now after two years of Matt Rule the Giants may be thinking boy a hey we we may have dodged a bullet there although Giants fans may prefer what they've seen from Matt Rule over two years to what they got from Joe Judge but you need to be thorough you need to be focused but you can't dilly-dally you have to be working tirelessly this has to be your top priority If you're ownership of any of these teams that is currently looking for a general manager and or a head coach, you have to set everything else in your life aside. This gets back to the Stephen Ross comments from earlier in the week, the idea that you need to be all in as an owner of one of these teams. It can't be just some hobby, some toy, some game, something that you just kind of swoop in from time to time and and get involved and then go back to whatever else it is you're doing. You need to be all in. And the Maras are all in. And the problem is, and this came up yesterday too, Chris, are they too all in? John Mara insisted that he and his family members don't have undue influence over personnel. I cannot reconcile that with the Giants.com front office page that shows beyond the fact that John Mayer is the president and chief executive, because there are plenty of presidents and chief executives who don't have undue influence over personnel, but when you scroll down and you see that Chris Mayer, his brother, is the senior vice president, comma, player personnel, and when you go down even farther and see that their nephew, Tim McDonald, is the co-director of player personnel, along with Mark Cons, who's been a true old-school football guy for years now, when you've got... Mara family member with equal title to grind it out, scout, and then supervising all of it is Chris Mara, director of player personnel. Yeah. Well, not director, but senior vice president of player personnel even more. How can you claim with a straight face that yeah. your family doesn't have undue influence over personnel?
2: Yeah, I, I I mean, I agree with you there, Mike. I mean, yeah, the Giants, you know, do they dabble in, you know, a few too many cooks in the kitchen to a degree? Yeah, I, I can't, you know, disagree with that sentiment. And, and to your point, you know, again, yeah, you know, you've talked about this a lot. Uh, hey, somebody in the owner's family's talking about something in a meeting. You know, people aren't stupid. They're like, wait, that's the owner's, you know, that's the nephew talking, whoever. That's, you know, part of the family here. I got to listen. I think they're trying to tell me something about what they like or who they like here, even though I kind of like somebody else better. It's the Maris telling me they like somebody here. So you don't know how much that is influencing decisions. And that's where, again, I hope that's not happening. I don't know knowledge of that, but that's where it's a delicate situation. Certainly. And that's where I hope they can get back to, you know, something I talked about, you know, yesterday a little bit, get back to that George Young, Bill Parcells, you know, era where, Hey, you know, you're, 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 Aware of everything that's going on, they're keeping you, you know, up to date with all the situations on your football team, but you're not necessarily always sitting in the meetings adding your two cents to say, well, wait, I like this guy or I like that guy. That's where they got to be careful, certainly. And hopefully this is a step in that direction. You know, hopefully that is. I do think it's encouraging, you know, that they're not, you know, making the, the, the move of, hey, new GM with the old head coach like you've talked about so much where it's it's a kind of a recipe for disaster because I do think that could set you back for a year or two too because now, you know, new GM comes in and of course he's got a guy like Joe Judge and Joe Judge has a vision of the football team so he gets a few guys that fit the vision of Joe Judge's football team even though it might not be the vision of the guy he's got on his radar as this future head coach who wants to do things differently and then that sets you back a few years. So that's where I think, again, the press conference was good yesterday, and he, he relayed that message to the fan base, that he didn't want to make that mistake there either. And I think that's a real thing, again, for the GM to come in, get a coach that, yes, okay, we're on the same page, and now we can share a common vision and build the football team. And hopefully, yes, that the Maras don't get too involved in those decisions or affect anything or influence those guys to do something maybe they don't want to do. You know, you made a point that I think is very, very appropriate, and we
0: don't know what goes on behind the scenes at any of these teams, but we all have our own experiences as to how organizations work, whatever it is, whether you're in school, whether you work somewhere, whatever, and how decisions get made and the various factors that human beings take into account before they make decisions. And I look at it this way. If I'm ultimately going to be judged on my performance by the owner of the company and I have a lot of different ways I can go in the decisions that I make when fulfilling my obligation to do the best I can to advance the interests of the organization. And I also know that there's a lot of right answers, there's a lot of wrong answers. You never really know what's going to happen. But when you're in the process of making these discretionary decisions, if the owner's brother is in the room with you as you're considering your options, if Right. The owner's nephew is in the room with you as you're grinding away considering these options. Anyone with any common sense is going to find a way to gauge what Uncle John thinks. Hey, 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 Tim, what's your Uncle John think of this guy? If you talk to Uncle John about this guy, you know I know I know that Uncle John really wants us to have a better offensive line, but you know what? When you have a chance, you may want to mention this defensive end that we see out of Georgia to Uncle John. It's it's it adds a layer of interpersonal complexity that gets in the way of doing the job properly. Right, and right. that's a more tactful way to make the point that I made yesterday on PFTPM, where I kind of lost my. Uh, eggs a little bit talking about the Mara's and that they should just get out of it all together. And if they can't keep their fingerprints off of it, they should just sell the team. And again, there's a sweet spot. Be there every day. Yeah. Make everyone accountable. But don't grab a big ass spoon and go jam it into the stew and splash it around everywhere if you don't know what the hell you're doing. And and to have I mean, they necessarily are exerting undue influence over personnel, by having two members of the family sure. with major titles in the personnel department. By nature, it is undue influence over personnel. The mere presence of Chris Mara and Tim McDonnell exerts undue influence just by the arrangement, just by the arrangement. Oh, well, so what if they're not in there pulling rank or saying, I'm going to go tell Uncle John. Just the mere fact that they're there complicates the jobs that the people are paid to do. And I can't believe that they don't see that.
2: I, I don't disagree with you. I don't. You know, again, I don't think they're the type of family that's overbearing or wants to, to be that way in my experience. But I think your point's real. It doesn't matter. You're right. If I'm the GM of the Giants or in pro personnel and you got a family member in there and they say something, you yeah, you you feel the pressure of wait, is that what they want? Why are they asking me this question? You know, and again, uh, the Mara's they're never going to let this go. They're not. This is the family business. I mean, they, they're the reason the New York Giants are the New York Giants is the Mara family. They're awesome in a lot of ways. But, yes, this is an area where I think they got to be a little careful. There's no doubt about it. It's fine to have some of these people, you know, in meetings, asking some quest- questions that are appropriate to the football team. But they just got to make sure there's not, you know, like you're saying, crossing the line or influencing the day-to-day work of a GM or a pro personnel guy because, wait, he said something to me and does that mean they want that or what? Or do they not like that I have this guy above this guy in my evaluations? That's where they got to be a little bit careful. That's where you, you got to trust your people that are working for you. You got to ask the questions. of wait, Wait, why do you like this guy better? Hey, wait, I saw this. Just explain this to me. I didn't understand that. That's fine. That's like... To me, you know, the Jones family, they 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 dabble in that type of stuff. that That's part of the, the job of being an owner and having your family involved. Hang on. But time out. Though, but time line. out. Time out. Yeah.
0: The Jones family would never come out and try to say with a straight face, we don't exercise undue influence over personnel. No, they've got that's a different way. You're right. They You're own right. it. Yes. They own it. Yes. They admit to what they're doing. And, sure. oh, they're in the playoffs right now, and the Giants aren't. So
2: I know, I understand, but you know, I could also go. The Giants got two Super Bowls in the last you know twenty something years, and the Cowboys don't got it. You know, ever since the Jones took over, so you you can go both ways in that conversation. I'm having a harder and harder time
0: understanding how in the hell the Giants won two Super Bowls, 42 and 46.
2: Well, because it goes back back to what we're talking about. I think that's we hit this yesterday. They won the first two Super Bowls when Wellington. You know, the the great Wellington Marin was alive and they let Parcells and George Young run the squad. When they got to the second group of Super Bowls, Ernie Accorsi and Tom Coughlin were running the squad, the squad. And then, of course, I know Ernie Accorsi left, you know, and then uh,
0: Jerry Reese was the GM for the for the the, the other two. Right. So then Jerry Reese. But they
2: let them do their thing, too. That, that's where I was getting to. I know I was blanking out on Jerry Reese's name there. But I think there was a, a line not being crossed at that time. At least it seems that way to me. Again, I don't know. I know everybody thinks I know these things because my dad played for the Giants. I don't know. I'm a fan too here. I'm just evaluating what I see, what I hear a little bit. But I certainly didn't have that feel during that time of my life. And, of course, I was in the NFL that there was too many cooks in the kitchen at that point. I don't know. I mean, I don't – do you remember having that feel back then in the late 2000s? No, right? No, So no. somewhere along the lines here, it changed. And I don't know if it's because, hey, oh, wait, we, we messed up. So now, hey, get more involved because we messed up. So I need you to help me. And then it's like more involved and more involved. I don't know where it, it changed that way. But to me, that's, that's, that's the, the difference, I think, a little bit between back then and right now. Here's the
0: 22nd version of the point I tried to make yesterday, and you can go watch PFTPM to see the much more animated and, uh, animated and angry version of it. But I I use the example of buying a Ferrari. If you want to buy a Ferrari and run it into the ground, that's your business. If you've got the money to do it and you, you want to burn off the tires and take it on terrain you shouldn't take it on, scrape the bottom, put crappy gas in it, whatever you want to do, that's your prerogative. It's your car. The difference here is this is a Ferrari that hundreds of thousands of people care about. They're invested in it. And there's a greater obligation to all those people out there who who want that Ferrari to be properly taken care of so it can go win races on the weekends. That's the difference. That's, that's the disconnect yeah, between you. we own it and we'll do what we want. And understanding the broader obligation to your paying customers that you have. And see, ultimately... That's not how they make their money. They don't make their money based on, on wins and losses. They make their money on TV. You know, they're gonna, people are going to watch on TV no matter what. People are going to come to the games no matter what. you got to be really, really bad to get to the point where no one's coming to your game. So that that's the disconnect. And I think they need to better appreciate the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of people that are invested in the proper operation of this Ferrari, and just because your nephew always wanted to be a race car driver doesn't mean that he should be
2: driving the race car. Yeah, that's I, that's basically my point. I, I I I get I get that you know I, I do I totally get that. I, the one thing I'll say in defending this family that I have so much respect for, and I listen, I'm uncomfortable talking about it. I really am. I'm not even gonna lie. I'm not. I, well, I am. You know, it's this is a, a family that's of course been great to my family. And I see these people around from time to time. I don't want them to hate me, right? I mean, I, I like the Mara family. The one thing I can always say about the Mara family that I will never back down from, the, 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 their heart's in the right place here. They want this thing to work. You know, they're not doing it for money or anything or anything like that. You know, it, they love the New York football giants. They love their fans. They want to make it work. They're obviously making some mistakes. And maybe, yes, like what we're talking about, evaluating themselves and how they're a part of the situation, maybe that's part of it. But it's not – the the things are not south because of, you know, heart and heart being in the right, well, wrong place here. That's all I think. I'm not saying they're I know malicious. You're not. I'm, I'm not just saying they're running sure. a scam. No, no, right. I know. I just want to make sure everybody – like the, the, they care about this. It's not about just yeah. dollars – or anything like that. And we know the dollars matter, I get it. But there's this is the family business. There this is the 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 crown jewel of the whole Mara family. Uh but yes, they they probably have crossed the line a little bit in how involved they are throughout the organization.
0: There are plenty of things that I would very much love to do and my heart would be in the right place while doing them that makes me no less unfit to do them just because my heart's in the right place. So, uh Let's move forward. Joe Judge's Joe Judge's heart was in the right place the day after he got fired. Oh, this is amazing. I, so. I love it. A
2: lot of beer. He's going out swinging, baby. Yeah. It's,
0: hey, $15 million for three years to not coach the Giants. I think you need more pizza, and I think you need more beer. Let's take a break. We'll take a look at round three for a couple of these playoff games where you've got division rivals who are getting together this weekend. We'll do that next year on PFT 2 Live.